0: This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures! Uh, half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy!
1: <laughs> this episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Time Traveling Team. I'm Paddy. Each week, Paul and Dan do a fantastic job guiding us through the wide world of movies and TV shows. Meanwhile, my co-host Trisha and I are taking a trip through the time vortex and discussing the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey world of Doctor Who. Starting back from the earliest adventure in 1963, we're discussing the stories, the Doctor, the companions and the villains of this iconic show. You can find us at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now sit back, relax and enjoy as Paul and Dan do their thing, half-measure style. all right this is uh half measures and uh with me and dan and uh 76 can you believe that 76 you're right Dan.
0: <laughs> i i love this paul can you try to sort of keep this up for the whole episode or is this a a short window
1: uh no no it's a short window i am um, i honestly i i thought i have to try and imitate stanley tucci last time i was on intros i was hoping i could never be that that bad again and yeah for anyone who thinks i've lost the plot dan and i will be reviewing something later which is uh centered around a uh, a character from liverpool if you hadn't guessed
0: indeed indeed uh, a great show looking forward to talking about that with you paul
1: yeah I, oh it's, for me there's so many highlights this week but that that possibly is top of the top of the bill for me but we'll we'll see
0: all right, should we get into what we've been watching?
1: I think we should, Dan. If you'd like to tell us, please, what have you been watching this week?
0: Kia ora, kia ora. All right, so uh, we've watched quite a few things together this week, but I have managed to squeeze in a couple of movies uh, in between visitors uh, in my household. So the first movie that I have watched is is uh, one that came out in 2019 called Good Boys. So the synopsis of this movie is three sixth-grade boys ditch school and embark on an epic journey while carrying accidentally stolen drugs, being hunted by teenage girls, and trying to make their way home in time for a long-awaited party. Now, some of you may think, is this an autobiography of Paul Canauer's life? (laughs) Maybe, maybe. This is... uh, this is a real fun movie. This is I would put it in the the super bad type genre. You know, it's got you know people like Seth MacFarlane sort of like written all over it. It's just a a, a fun movie about some some young young boys sort of about to sort of enter that sort of teenage period in, period in their life, kind of trusted to kind of do stuff on their own, but they kind of caught up in a whole bunch of scumbag r16 type activities and it, like, it's just a lot of fun you can watch this movie on uh, netflix here in new zealand um it's got a a pretty like a, a pretty young cast but it's also got some actors you may be familiar with uh, like midori francis or uh will forte Um, but there's often not a lot of adults sort of roaming around this movie mm-hmm. as i say it's it's kind of just about the antics of these kids, and there's so many kind of laugh out loud moments. You know, these these kids are—they're trying to date people. They're, you know, they're trying to support anti-bullying. They're trying to, you know, outwit their parents. It's it's a hell of a good time.
1: I see um, the the producers—they uh, were the producers of The Office, the U.S. Office—and also, as you said, that sort of uh, super bad bad teacher uh neighbors and the classic um sausage party <laughs> just and then it's an r-rated i mean you know what you're getting with this one it does exactly what it says on the tin
0: yeah i think it's it's the type of movie which you know chuck it on on a sunday afternoon or a friday night and just you know like this, it's not going to change your life but it's it's a hell of a lot of fun
1: it's good 90 minutes it's worth it i reckon
0: indeed uh, the other movie that I've watched is a uh, a movie that just came out this this year actually just a, a few weeks ago called Wrath of Man. So this is a movie uh, made by Guy Ritchie starring uh, Jason Statham. So this basically that it's a difficult movie to talk about without sort of ruining the plot and because it's so fresh i'm gonna I'm gonna keep it pretty high level um but it's it's a classic sort of, Guy Ritchie type vibe where the whole story is sort of told through different people's points of view. It's ultimately about a a heist um, and basically Jason Statham sort of um, playing the role of righting the wrongs that may have happened throughout this process. And it is – it's it's not – for me, it's probably not quite a uh the gentleman type movie with you know 'cause often with the Guy Ritchie films, I love it when they've got a real sort of English bent to them mm. but this this is a very American film um still a great story, still a great cast uh it's got a great soundtrack, a great sort of mood throughout the whole movie, as I say, lots of lots of sort of plot twists and it's sort of quite engaging, but yeah, this is a, a another good watch. I, I'd recommend it.
1: I've had this one on my watch list for for a while. It's definitely one I want to want to get in amongst. It's interesting you say about the American twist because when I think of Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham back together, instantly you start thinking Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, and you you I don't know. I'm going into it wanting that vibe, and when I think about the Guy Ritchie movies, I think Revolver, which was perhaps more of a U.S. That's probably probably the most uh oh, how do i word it probably the least impact for me compared to others like we, when we recently, well, recently a year ago watched the gentleman and so it's it's, it's interesting you picked up on that because that's a that's a a big draw card that's not actually part of this deal
0: Yeah, and it's got a pretty great cast behind this movie as well, so obviously starring Jason Statham, but he's, you know, often in Guy Ritchie movies, he's he's a bit of a funny man. Mm. Uh, He's got some great lines, and he still has some great lines, but it doesn't quite have that... Constant sort of bam, 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 hitting you with all the great banter. It's a little bit um, more dry than that. Uh, It's got Scott Eastwood, so Mm. Clint Eastwood's son, who seems to be appearing in more and more stuff. And I think he's really one to watch. Uh, Jeffrey Donovan, Rocky Williams, Josh Hartnett. Like, there's, it's a pretty, uh, you know, star studded cast as far as these types of movies go. And as I say, I think what's always good about a Guy Ritchie film is it's, you know, you get the action, but you also get the story and you know it sort of pays dividends over time um as the story goes on. so definitely a recommended watch
1: how so did you watch this in the movie? do you had to I watched this on iTunes uh, I had
0: to, I had to rent it so oh,
1: okay, that's why I haven't seen it come up anyway because I, I did I was watching out for this one okay that's that's cool. Oh, Andy Garcia as well there's lots there's lots going on here. It's, it is rating pretty highly it's, it seems to be trending pretty well, so that's good.
0: Yeah, I've got to be honest, I, so I, I was aware of this movie coming out, I'd, I'd sort of seen advertising for Wrath of Man, but I hadn't actually picked up until I actually put the movie on that this was a Guy Ritchie film, uh, I, only because I feel like it was just, you know, well it was last year I guess, but so recently that I was watching The Gentleman that mm. I, I wasn't expecting another Guy Ritchie film to be uh, there for the taking. Awesome. And that Paul is me and all the things that we've watched together.
1: Excellent. Well, I'm the same as you. I've only got a couple of things uh, as well. So first up, I watched the movie uh, *Fair Street Part 1, 1994. So this is a a relatively uh, new release, um, obviously having just come out this year. But the the way I say it's relatively new is because I see that they've already released a couple more um, straight after that. So that's that's quite interesting. Um, This... So, if you haven't seen this, a circle of teenage friends accidentally encounter the ancient evil responsible for a series of brutal murders that have plagued their town for over three hundred years. Welcome to Shady Side. And it's interesting that a lot of these um, websites, like IMDb and so on, have, have classed this as, as as horror, drama, mystery. None of them have placed the word comedy against this and yet there was a lot about this movie that i actually thought was quite comedic at first on that basis i felt like this was going to be a bit of a a modern day scream but as it progressed i definitely you know i realized that it was you know more than that it's a very different offering um with a very uh, it's a real threat so it's uh or i guess unreal in real life terms but it's something that cannot be dealt with through rational scientific means or whatever it's uh, so it's that always makes it a different kind of horror movie to me where it's not just a crazy person in a mask type situation so it's got a bit of depth there in that regard is this one you've you've seen or heard of then
0: um, so I'm very aware of it, but it's one I haven't started yet. So, um, interestingly enough, we've been doing quite a bit of, uh, uh, interviewing and recruitment at work. And one of the questions we ask at the end of these interviews, Paul, is what would you recommend to us on Netflix or, you know, what are you watching at the moment? Just to get a bit of, we're just doing a bit of a, a team vibe check. And the number of people that have said to me over the last couple of weeks, just watch Fair Street has been pretty high. And most commonly kind of hear people referring to it as a kind of like a Stranger Things type vibe.
1: Yeah, that's probably a bit bit more, yeah, so that is a fair assessment. Um, I now know if I ever get interviewed by you, Dan, I need to have that in my back pocket when I've been watching. I should have that ready to go. Um, this movie can be a bit teeny boppy here and there but there are some really gory proper murders which isn't a nice thing to say but in the context of a horror movie that's that's what you're here for they're they're serving things up with no filter or or hesitation or warning and i think that was what i actually really appreciated more than anything was kind of characters that you thought were in it for the long haul would and would surely be the type of character to make it to the end were just suddenly wiped out um with with no warning and no and there was no time to mourn because their characters were also in danger and had to get out of there it's kind of had like a bit of a black summer vibe to it in terms of you know you had to keep the pace of it moving pretty well um but it, i think the reason i talked about the the genre of the comedy i think it suffers maybe from trying to be too many things um so there's a couple of jump seat moments um there's some Big elements that are around relationships and uh, and friends and family. There's a lot of humor, as I say, and there's a lot of setup and backstory. So all of that means that you don't get as much. There's not as much room for the scary parts because there's so much going on. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because these are based on the R.L. Stein books, right? And I yeah. I remember it. Uh, and. Uh, late intermediate kind of early high school reading a couple of these books and kind of being like really it was my first kind of exposure to reading any type of light horror and they were they were always fun books um, I think like I'm definitely going to watch these movies and I've been I'm really intrigued by their way of delivering them as a trilogy but releasing them week by week mm. and so I think that's it's an interesting model and um I'm yeah I think it's definitely going to be one to check out
1: yeah, I think the, the stand-up cast member for me uh, was was possibly um, Madeira. She I thought she was really good. Maya Hawke also makes an appearance, the daughter of Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. Um, but look, it's for me, it's a light popcorn Saturday night movie. It's something I can happily watch and not have to pause if I go to the kitchen to make a cuppa, and that's fine. You know, It is what it is, and I probably won't do a rewatch, but I think I'll definitely – go visit these these two sequels. So so yeah, so that's fear Street Part 1 and that is on Netflix. And what else? Oh yes, of course. So last week I watched Terminator, so obviously this week Terminator 2. Um and I guess for anyone who's been under a rock or perhaps is a younger listener who hasn't hasn't watched this old classic yet um a cyborg identical to the one who failed to kill sarah connor must now protect her 10 year old son john connor from a more advanced cyborg this is as good as movie as it as it can get i I mean it's right up there i i almost feel like my anything i might say might be redundant because the whole world agrees that this is one of the greatest movies of all time this is Pete Schwarzenegger, both you and I had this as our movie for his peak performance a few weeks back. Linda Hamilton, this time she plays the badass. She she's immense. It's her peak performance without any doubt. Um it's it's just one of the greats, isn't it?
0: I think what's so great about that there's so many great scenes in this movie. You know, the infamous being, you know, chased down the the California sort of sewers with the the truck and yep. um, Arnold on the uh, Uh, fat boy motorbike. I think there's just the Robert Patrick's T-1000 betrayal was just so terrifying um, that he could just, you know, take the form of any person. And he was just so, so lethal and deadly. The fact that, you know, um, Sarah Connor's basically in a, a psychiatric hospital and no one believes her, but you've kind of got the history of that it's all real. And like, it's such a a well put together package
1: it, it really really is and you've hit on a few things there that ultimately it's every scene isn't it every scene every action scene hits the mark so the one you just described the the one with the helicopter the scenes at, Cy- at cyberdyne when you know when the police turn up and they're like how many police and john's like all of them i think you know it's like there's just so much actually on the subject of john edward furlong his career may not have really taken off but in this movie i think he is just he is spot on for john in terms of that age that attitude that cockiness and also he also brings a bit of um uh, vulnerability when his you know his true emotions come through a, a couple of times in the movie and Schwarzenegger is like what's wrong with your eyes you know <laughs> why are you crying it's um there's so much about this um it's aged so well and i think what i really appreciate having watched terminator last week is this is this is only what are we this is just seven years on from the original but it's unbelievable because it's just leagues ahead um in terms of makeup in terms of visual uh effects that sort of perspective it's just leagues and leagues beyond it it's um it's 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 it's, it's a classic
0: it is, and I think I think you're right. Like Edward Furlong was like such a, a cool guy back in the day, and you know, just that I'm still as you talked about him, I'm just thinking about those funny scenes with his, I guess his foster brother. Yeah. Is it is it Danny Cooksey? Um, and just like they jump on the back of the dirt bike and hoon off, and they're just kind of punks and they have kind of got a bad attitude and greasy hair, and yep. it's just it just speaks to the time and the and the age bracket, and it, it's just perfect
1: and the robert patrick run as as the t1000 when he's when he's running with the arms i mean i don't run very often but if i'm in a real hurry and i have to sprint i gotta say sometimes my arms go into that motion as well because i feel like it just makes me faster um i yeah i really can't say enough all i will say on this is so this this movie is two hours 17 we watched the we watched the james cameron director's cut which is two hours 33 so a bit longer and so I really got a lot out of that because I, I, th- I often talk about movies that are too long but when it's a good movie you know we're talking Lord of the Rings you want the extended cuts and I really feel like the uh, the Jim Cameron cut here is, is worth it so you've got more of Sarah Connor at the hospital an extended scene with Michael Byne as a dream vision of Kyle Reese and um, the uh, robert patrick's t1000 is is looking for clues in the foster parents house when he after he's killed the foster parents in the kitchen and he realizes that annie's tricked him on the phone with the whole dog you know it, it, oh, why is max barking whenever he starts going looking in john's room for clues and there's just like these all these letters from sarah connor there's a whole lot more um there um the dyson family the Miles Dyson, you see a bit more of his family, and that's good because you get a bit more of appreciation for this guy being a family guy rather than just this this guy obsessed with making this you know this this Skynet and and whatever it is he's doing, you know. Um there's there's just a lot of little extras and I it was a long watch to S33, but it didn't feel long and that's always the sign, as we always say, of of one of the the greats. So um so yeah that's that's Terminator two. And yes I will be back next week with arguably The second greatest action movie of our time. (laughs) Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. We'll see how we go with that one.
0: Fun, fun times. Um, That's awesome. I'm loving this rewatch, ball. It's good stuff. Mm. Shall we move on over to a little bit of Rick and Morty?
1: Absolutely. Season 5, Episode 7. Gotron, Jerry sis. Rick Vangelion... V- Vangelian I can't pronounce that I mean the title's are out of control now um I <laughs> this is the only show so th- so this summer enables Rick's addiction to collecting these giant combining robots and suddenly the family becomes the family is this is the only show I can think of that can successfully combine it's regular characters and then throw in good fellas voltron and a whole anime genre on top and and come out a a winner i i see the ratings on this one are not as high as others for me this is one of the best of the season what are you thinking yeah
0: yeah look i think i think you're right like once again you know and i feel like we say this every week about rick and morty but there's not many shows that can just kind of do whatever the hell they want and have a good time doing it. And I think you're right. The way they brought in the uh, the Goodfellas vibe, a little bit of Scarface at the end. Like I'm a big fan of Voltron, so I love the idea of kind of collecting all the ferrets. And I love that they, you know, they had to get the other families to go and get other ferrets, and they wanted to get the ultimate family. It was just, it was such a such a great time and it was it was also fun seeing characters like uh jerry not being a a douchebag and actually being like (laughs) being being kind of a a good guy for a a brief second um another another great episode i'm I'm surprised as well that this is only a a 6.5 on imdb i thought it deserved a lot more
1: i laughed a lot and you know i'm not uh i've i've a fan of Vulture so I can only imagine what it would be like for you know for, for someone like yourself. I, I also was on my regular Jerry watch, which um you know brought about a few more similarities with myself <laughs> when summer was like um you know Morty was right. I got addicted to making Grandpa happy but he inflates his value of happiness and jerry's like that's a good point i mean look at me i'm easy to make happy which is why nobody gives a shit if i am (laughs) it was just (laughs) so good it's so good um honestly if anyone listens to this and has never watched the show get straight into it straight away onto netflix go right the way to season one and i i feel like i feel like everyone's going to find this one i don't know how you can't
0: yeah yeah i think season five has just been a a real smash hit for some reason in my mind i think season four had a bit more ups and downs but i've found the season pretty consistently good
1: yeah and they've got that confidence because they know they're at the top of the game and it's flowing naturally there's no pressure oh we've got to make this funny it's just you can tell that it just must be an absolute blast walking into work and and running this stuff and animating this stuff and i imagine voicing this stuff must be just amazing
0: Indeed. Should we move over to our friends at the uh, Bad Batch?
1: Indeed. Season 1, episode 14 of the Bad Batch, War Mantle. After receiving a mysterious distress call, the Batch tracks it to a secret facility. That's quite a detailed synopsis for once. Um, yeah, you go first, Am.
0: Um, Yeah, this was, uh, I think, another good episode. Maybe not quite... Is uh well, like I I maybe expected a little bit more since we're kind of heading into the um the, the final couple of episodes of the season. But in saying that, I I thought this was a very good episode. I you know the the young Star Wars fan inside me was super hyped to see some stormtroopers starting to appear. Um, I'm actually I don't know why I'm saying this. this wasn't a great episode. This was a great episode. We also got to see. Um a little bit of the uh, the clone facility and kind of what's happening there. obviously, we've got hunter trapped at the at the very end. They actually I think are setting this up for a really interesting couple of final episodes.
1: yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I really rated it and I was just checking it's actually the the third highest rating of the season so far. I what well, you touched on some great things there, and the stormtroopers in particular, which I'll I'll come to in a minute. But the first thing I want to say is, and this isn't the first time the show's done it, but I love how they've integrated another character into the story um, from a previous animated series. And so this time it's CC five five seven six, aka Gregor, who we who we first meet in Clone Wars, and who we know survives because we um, we see him as one of those three crazy old crazy old crazy old soldiers um you know the, the other bearded rex and what's his name in rebels um thank you thank you i knew you'd be there um and of course gregor only encounters the batch because it's our old mate captain rex who asks for you know for the help to, to free him from the empire so it really flushes out another character um uh, and it's yeah you know, only the fans of the animated shows will know that it's a previous character and therefore be able to, to appreciate that um, and on the subject of what you were talking about the stormtroopers i really love how they didn't go straight into the original trilogy stormtrooper design but instead they've gone with a bit of a, a an iteration on that kind of sits between the clone army helmet and the what they're calling the TK stormtrooper uh, helmet, And I was so fascinated about it that I looked it up online and it, I saw an article in it. the design they've gone with actually is very similar to Ralph McQuarrie's, whose sketches for stormtroopers that he drew before A New Hope was even filmed. And I think that's a really awesome touch. I really, I really love that.
0: Yeah, look, I agree. As soon as they started talking about the TK designation, it was like, yes. And it was kind of like, you know, we've been talking about for a long time, wanting to see a bit more behind the scenes of the transition from clones to stormtroopers. And when you actually, you know, start to think about the, you know, the, the wider Star Wars movies and how a lot of people were kind of, conscripted into be stormtroopers like there's there's potentially some interesting uh storylines to keep exploring with this i think it's it's really interesting to see um you know scopes and and hunter back together (laughs) and it's going to be intriguing to see i guess what what our how our bad batch um, pitched this rescue mission um, the other thing I thought was quite interesting in this episode is how much of a good pilot
1: Omega is already. Yes. Already like, just able yeah. to pilot that thing beautifully. Right.
0: Yeah. Just hover it by the cliff. And I was like, Oh, this, this is going to be that hard to fly. Like it was, it was, it was cool. Yeah. Um, I think we're we're in for a, a good ride.
1: I, I am really curious to see how things play out for, for Hunter now that Cross has, um, sorry, Scopes has got him captured because you postulated an opinion, uh, a few podcasts ago that Scopes might have his, his chip removed and then, you know, he might come back to the Batch and, and be a good guy again and, and turn against the Empire. I'd be really interested in that. But I would I also thought about a story because, you know, these, these clones are showing free will. I, I, I've thought about a story where he has the chip removed but then he kind of wakes up and he decides actually, chip or no chip, I'm Team Palpatine. <laughs> I'm staying put where I am. I, I, you know, that could be an interesting story to explore if they went down that way.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, at the start, I really felt like I wanted the full Bad Batch squad back together. Mm. But I actually wonder whether they actually need someone like Scopes on the other team, kind of driving the the story and being a bit of a a nemesis for them. Um, Yeah, I think
1: time will tell. Can I just also have a little bit of a geeky moment and say that just hearing the noise of a stormtrooper blaster compared to the clone blaster noise—it's a very subtle difference. And just having that classic blaster noise from the original trilogy, um, and the visual of the of this of the stun circle when when the weapon fires was great. And I also picked up on the the music that was going with those scenes. All of the music when you see those stormtroopers—they are all pieces taken directly from the John Williams theme for the. Th- for the scenes on the death star and a new hope when the stormtroopers were chasing after Han and Chewie and Luke and Leia there. It's, it's kind of, I guess it's the stormtrooper theme. And, um, it was just, it was really subtle, but it was just, it's, uh, it's really effective. Um, and yeah, the geek in me, it really appealed to me.
0: I wonder whether in our final episodes, whether we're going to get a bit of a, a Jedi loopback uh, you know obviously in our, our first couple of episodes or our first episode um, we had young Caden um, as a young Padawan, I wonder whether there'll be any sort of loopback connection whether we might get a whether it be a, a Soka or whoever it may be something that kind of brings a, a force element into play
1: Interesting, whenever you postulate theories Dan the world listens because unfortunately you're often right <laughs> So, well, we,
0: you know, we could even get a, a an early Darth Vader at some point.
1: I I have thought that, and I'm, I always seem to tempt fate. I feel like I bring something to the podcast, and that's the tempting of fate. And I will say, it. we're not going to see Darth Vader in this cartoon series. I've said it now. Uh,
0: I think it's one that's animated, and so, um, what did I say? <laughs> cartoon. Okay. I guess it is this kind of cartoon. um, I don't know i, I think there's uh these big visions over from the boys at um at Lucasfilm and I think in Disney. I think there's who knows i think the the sky's the
1: limit i I no one would be more surprised and pleased uh, to to have that happen, so we'll we'll see. I look
0: forward to another ring of fire rendition if it if it does happen.
1: I tell you Dan, they bring Vader in. I'll bring back the voice.
0: You heard it here, folks? <laughs> Someone's gonna have to remind me. I'm likely to forget, but
1: <laughs> it's very true you will. <laughs> All
0: right. Shall we uh shall we go over to one of the, the two series that we've actually watched uh this week?
1: Yeah, so let's let's start off with um Transformers, War for Cybertron Kingdom. This is the the third part. Uh, of this trilogy, uh, we've we've previously reviewed uh, Siege, and and Earthrise on this on this podcast, and the the synopsis for Kingdom. Uh, having crash landed on Earth, the Autobots and Decepticons are confronted by two rival Cybertronian factions from a future that their conflict has inadvertently created. As the heroes and villains of the classic Beast Wars Transformers make. Uh, their war for cybertron debut um i'll start off that just by saying i want to preface my my comments by first mentioning that to be honest with you in any previous iteration of, of animated transformers i have never really been a big fan of, of the beast wars the you know the the predacons the maximals any of that, I, I don't know if I'm just, a, I'm a simple guy, I'm an old-fashioned guy. I really just love my simple Autobots versus Decepticons. But what I will say is this this story, this iteration of these characters did not trigger me in the same way that previous versions have. And so I was able to genuinely enjoy this story. And I, I honestly feel like this is by far my best experience for a series that involves these, these particular characters. And I actually finally have a bit of an appreciation for those characters. And that is a massive win for me because as much as I've been looking forward to kingdom, I have been aware of what this has been around. If you know what I mean? Yeah, look, I completely agree. I am. I'm
0: from a simpler time. I am from my, uh, transformers turning into trucks and vehicles and guns, whatever they, what they need to be. And I, I've never, connected as much with the 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 Beast Wars or, or Maximals, but I I have enjoyed like the, you know, the Dino-Bots, I have enjoyed the Insecticons. And weirdly, I actually found myself quite enjoying some of these these new characters in the in the Transformers universe as well.
1: Yeah, I really did. And I and not just that, but also the, I love seeing characters um like Alita One and, and Ultra Magnus who arguably is possibly the greatest looking Transformer ever, Ultra Magnus. But, you know, having them play a part in this story uh, was something not expected, given the way their stories have played out in this series. And there was lots of examples of of really clever writing in Kingdom for me. And so a massive shout out to the writers, F.J. DeSento, Tim Sheridan, um, Maycat, and George Kirsteck, because... I really feel like they gave me a series that I got a lot out of. I, I really felt like I was able to engage with it and, and enjoy it. And again, I'm so, so impressed by that because I was nervous about coming into this, this Beast War universe and I felt they, they brought all of those characters together so well.
0: Like, I know that we are collectively on the show, really big fans of Megatron, Optimus Prime, Starscream, Bumblebee, Soundwave, etc. cetera. Um, but I, you know, the, the two additional characters I really enjoyed actually was, uh, Black oh, yeah. and Eraser. Like, just, I, I enjoyed the banter. I enjoyed kind of the kind of adult humor that they kind of brought to the, the show as well. It was just a, a bit of a surprise and delight.
1: Yeah, no, 100% agree. Um, Black Arachnea was particularly funny. The, the relationship that she was having with the other characters was, um, she brought a different angle that we haven't seen before. Um, and again, I think the writers just brought those things together because there's a lot of moving parts and they brought it to a good climax. Um, they also gave it an ending, uh, which I thought was very satisfying. And also they sort of, Set it up that there could be more stories within this version of the universe that they've been they've been given. So I found that satisfying, and I and I really liked the story arcs for some of or well, several characters. And um, and Dan, as you already know, um, I'm delighted to say that Frank Tadaro, who provides the voice of of Starscream and Ravage and Laserbeak, as well as of course the introduction to our podcast. I am delighted to say he's been in touch with us again and he shared with us his thoughts on the story arc of Starscream in this series. And so when we get to the mailbag uh, section of today's podcast, I'll read that out. So you can use the timings in the show notes if you want to jump to that section. But there was a lot of those story arcs I just found really satisfying and something that I don't think previous uh, Transformers animated series have perhaps gone as deep. And that was that was great.
0: Yeah, it's 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 interesting because it? I, I think the Starscream story in particular had some really great G one homages to me, like mm. particularly sort of the you know Starscream wanting, you know, he's such a strong desire to to lead the Decepticons and, and be in charge and and never quite come into fruition for him. But I think you know the kind of interesting character growth for him there. There is a, a couple of things which I did find sort of interesting about the show and i i'd be interested in you sort of maybe hopefully correcting me (laughs) we'll see so um i guess one well i guess one thing that's kind of interesting about this whole series and this is a real it's a minor pet peeve in the scheme of things but why isn't this as one box set on netflix like why are they separate and i feel like it's one it's one story, but it's kind of set up that they could continue these chapters or however they describe it in their own right without ever connecting together. But they are connected, and it—I feel like it bothered me the last with the siege, and it's bothering me now with Kingdom.
1: Yeah, I don't know why they didn't. I—it I, um, annoys me for two reasons. One, because if and when I come to do a rewatch, uh, and I think a rewatch of all three together would actually really solidify that that whole story. I'm going to have to find, I'm going to have to look for it in three different places. But more than that, it bothers me about future uh, watchers of this who may simply discover Earthrise or worse still, they may simply discover Kingdom and of course, see the ending and then be like, oh, I wonder if there's any more. And if, you know, it's um, it's a very strange thing from Netflix that is.
0: Yeah, look, and I think that's the thing that kind of bothers me because you could you know qu- quite rationally see someone's like, Oh, I'm a big fan of the Maxwells. I'm just going to jump in here." Yeah, but I actually think the thing with the whole Transformers story across these three seasons is it's actually quite a a complicated um story. And it's not made for just jumping in. Like You actually do need the context of all episodes to, to really appreciate it.
1: That's right. The, as I said before, the writers have given us something complex. And when you think about how simplistic the G1 stories used to be, this was a way deeper plot with a lot more thought, a lot deeper meaning, and way more material to engage in. And as you say, you, you, need, to, you need to start from the start. And if anything, I think watching this back-to-back, you'll get more more out of it more appreciation it's interesting that your you know your sort of um your your criticism i guess is aimed at netflix i have a criticism it's actually aimed at hasbro and i'm like why am i not seeing the character inferno when they've released a toy of the character why are they releasing a toy of a character who's not in the series sorry who's not in the series and yet some of the characters in the series have not been released at toys i don't get it but i love inferno as a character and when i saw the toy release i have to admit and that got me excited that he was going to be in the show, and that's not the fault of the writers. Um, they can they can bring in what characters they want. It's, I mean, I guess I've bought the okay. I've, I've bought the the Inferno, so I guess I, I, that's why they've done it because they know people like me will buy it. But come on.
0: I, I think this is, a, 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 again, we're really getting into stuff outside of the actual show, yeah. but I think this is, the whole Transformers toy line as a, a bit of a collector is a bit of a mess, to be honest with you, because there's so many, you've only got to go to, to your local toy store, and there's so many different variations, like, am I buying them from the same line? Are these even in the same scale? Is this, like, the, it's not It's not an easy thing to collect without a bit of research.
1: No, that's right. The War for Cybertron collection i um, we've we've got seventeen of them from that across the three, and the one I'm waiting for now is Galvatron, which I haven't found here in New Zealand. Actually, on the subject of Galvatron, that reminds me, there were there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of elements from G1 that this story intricately. Entwines into the plot, uh, and that's the, been the case for the whole trilogy, not just Kingdom. But I really like the way they handled the Galvatron story. And rather than have us lose the character of Megatron at the hands of Unicron, as as is the, the tradition with G One, the writers brought that story in by cleverly playing with the timeline, and allowed that story to play it in a different way while still giving us the chance to enjoy seeing Galvatron, who I, I, I would like to give another shout out, and that he was voiced so well by um jason Monoka, who of course also voices um megatron and i think he he really plays off both of those voices really really well and so i yeah i really appreciated things like that because of course i'm a g1 fan boy and they they just they treated it res- with the respect it needed
0: you're an og paul i think the other thing that's interesting about the the release of the show is—it's obviously coming hot on the heels of He Man and the Masters of the Universe. You know, we've just had a a classic '80s throwback, and now we're getting kind of more. And this has obviously been around for um, a lot longer on on Netflix, but just sort of interesting timing-wise, that it's a it's a great time to be a big kid.
1: Yeah, and look, you know, last week we reviewed the Masters of the Universe Revelation, and I feel like this War for Cybertron trilogy does what that show did to it it has the right look it has the right sound and and i also give a shout out to alexander bornstein who gives a really good theme tune to this series and i think in the shadow of the classic song (laughs) the classic theme tune that's a big ass i think he does that really well but it's you know there's the voice cast the visual design the transformer design i think is the best that we've heard since g1 it's it's without doubt the greatest animated Transformers series I've watched since I watched it as a kid, watching G One in the eighties. So this that makes it even more special for me. Just like we talked about with Masters of the Universe, I get to, and also I get to watch this with my daughter. And then she wants to get all the toys out, and you know that's going into my happy place. So this show has a real emotional impact for me on on many many levels.
0: Sorry, Paul, are these your daughter's toys or your toys?
1: I would like to clarify for the record that these are all my daughter's toys, and I am not (laughs) brainwashing my children into wanting to buy the things that I secretly want.
0: Do you know, if I was going to offer one criticism to this show, and I think it's probably going to be met with mixed reception, is I kind of wish the show was animated the way that He-Man was animated, so that we kind of actually had the, the true sort of cartoon format, because I think the thing is with this um, style of kind of computer animation, like it's quite dark, and I like and like it works there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it but i kind of wish there was a little bit of that old school vibrance that g1 had
1: yeah look i i hear your point and i i do love that vibrance i i know what you mean because this is i'm torn because i love the design of the transformers so much and i wonder how that design would translate into the 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 animation style that you've just described i wonder if those two things would marry up well i think they probably could Look, this universe has been left wide open with the Unicron at the end saying, "Do you know what? I'll try again. Maybe they could. Maybe they could do it in a, in a different animation style. I, I don't know, but um, I think I know what you mean about it being darker. Um, it's uh, it's a different look and feel, but uh, yeah, I hear your point."
0: I've also got to give just a, a, a general shout out to, obviously, big fan of Starscream, but, you know, my true boy, Soundwave, he is just a, he is a, a G the whole way. He's always got Megatron's back. He's so loyal. He's so just dedicated to the cause. Never does my boy Soundwave ever waver in his course of
1: action. Correct. Um, and when he's striding through with those, I guess, Soundwaves coming out, you know, he's, he's, he's pretty foreboding. He's pretty intimidating when he gets his walk on.
0: Indeed. Indeed. I, I guess also well, while I'm sitting here giving shout outs to the characters, I love that Bumblebee was in line for that sort of 2IC t- t- duty. You know, if, if I go down, Bumblebee, you're in charge. I feel like it wasn't that long ago, but Bumblebee was just a, he wasn't even an official Autobot. He was just you know, in this uh, three seasons of, of show. And already he's he's straight to the top of the charts.
1: I noticed that too. And I also thought there was an opportunity for like a maybe even a comedy moment to sort of have, I don't know, like a, a Jack or Ironheart or Ratchet sort of look over and go, oh yeah, new boy here, been here five minutes. He's already two IC. Where's my promotion? When's my PVP? Yeah. When do I go in and have my assessment? You know?
0: <laughs> it's funny because they, they do bring uh, elements of comedy into this show In in kind of interesting ways, like, you know, when they're they're crossing the the terrain of the the forest and the the Autobots are kind of getting puffed as they (laughs) as they go across the terrain. And you know, the the other ones are turning into like cats and dinosaurs or whatever are just gorillas are just smashing across the land, but just the idea of a of a puffed robot is is funny.
1: Yeah, no, there are of moments. I think there's one moment when Starscream is like basically escapes and he's like I can fly. And as he sort of jumps away, he's basically all but giving the finger to the people who can't fly. (laughs) That's great.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Now, I think, uh, look, as I said before, if you're a a child of the the 70s, 80s, 90s, this is probably going to be for you.
1: Definitely. And, yeah, War for Cybertron, the trilogy, uh, available on Netflix, we recommend all three of them. And of course we've um we've reviewed all three now. Um so you can go back through our our previous uh, episodes if you're interested in in seeing the and uh, sorry not seeing listening to our review. We've got um Earthrise was oh I can't remember the the episode numbers now. That's really poor form, isn't it? Just listen Sounds like a half measure. Just listen to them all, right? Just listen to all the podcasts. That's the way to do it. That's right. That's right.
0: All right, shall we uh, move on to our next uh, TV series that we've uh, watched together, Time?
1: Time. So this is where my introduction came from earlier. Uh, This is a British prison drama, Funny enough. Um, It's about a couple of guys, one of which is a prisoner and one of which is a prison officer. The prison officer, Eric, he's he's a good guy. He's trying to protect those who he's in charge of um, and then – when one of the most dangerous inmates identifies his weakness, uh, Eric faces an impossible choice between his principles and his love for his family. Uh, I'll hand to you first off then.
0: Uh, this. So this is a, a three episode mini series. So, you know, easily can be consumed in, a, in an evening. And I Absolutely love this show. This is fantastic. It's so good to uh, watch a show with uh, Sean Bean and where he doesn't die very early on in the process. <laughs> Stephen Graham as well. Um, s- such top quality acting. You know, you know, much like you, Paul. I I love a good prison show. Um, it's it's so intriguing. I think, and what this. What the show does a, a really good job of is it goes, you know, kind of straight in from the get-go. You're you're following um, Sean Bean's character, Mark, as he kind of enters into the prison system. You don't know straight away why he's in there. Kind of the, I guess, the, the experience of what I guess the a, – a common everyday person who's probably not really accustomed to any of this sort of prison life hasn't really – led a life of crime or kind of built for this and just some of the experiences he goes through over this this three episode arc and then sort of countered by the the story of the the prison guard what has you know sort of from a whole different point of view played by Stephen Graham and that kind of speaks to a whole different sort of level of understaffing in prisons and you know kind of the the stress and the the burden that gets put on you as a prison guard, how your weaknesses can be exposed to other prisoners and and how people are looking to exploit them. This is a, a fantastic watch.
1: It really is. You've said a lot of things that I, I want to touch on too. Um, but firstly, two things stood out for me when I watched this. One, I cannot afford to commit any crimes because I would not last a day in a prison. This show has convinced me of that more than any other prison drama I've ever watched, I think. And secondly, I was not prepared for how good this was, was going to be because I saw this on Neon. So it's available here in New Zealand on Neon. And I, I just literally saw the the title card come up and I clicked add to watch list without knowing anything about this other than I, I felt I could see Sean Bean and Stephen Graham were in it. And the strength of those two actors alone was enough for me to edit. And then when I find out that it's this prison drama and it's written by Jimmy McGovern, who wrote probably my favourite 90s uk crime drama cracker uh, a show that i think i recommend i presume it's aged well i don't know but the, the writing in this show is just this top drawer. it's such a good watch um sean bean one day we might have to do a peak performance for him because i'll give you a spoiler alert now and i'll say this is it right here because i have never seen him deliver such a like a, 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 a measured empath empathetic performance something that i could i felt so bad for him he's normally such like a macho guy or like a i don't know the hero or, or he's a real bad guy whatever but he, i just felt so much emotion for him despite the mistake that he made and got him in jail, i just felt this sympathy and it was just such a different role for him that i really really enjoyed his role in particular
0: I think the other thing I found interesting about this show is Stephen Graham's character. As soon as I saw Stephen Graham, I guess, bearing in mind, I came into this a lot like you, not really knowing what I was in for. I instantly expected Stephen Graham to be the bad guy. And I thought, oh, here we go. He's going to be up to a bit of trouble. But actually seeing him play uh, a, a um far different role what was a, a lot of fun, but I'm with you paul um i I'm not made for prison. I think there's some pretty horrific scenes of things that happen in prison just from doling out punishments and things to different people it's It's not great
1: i am um, I was trying to explain this to someone at work the other day, and i just i couldn't do it justice because Did you boil the jug and put some
0: sugar in it and just sort of. <laughs>
1: Spoiler alert! I I couldn't do it justice because the story is so simple. It just doesn't sound like when I tried to describe it, it, just doesn't sound like it's all that much. And I think that's a reason why it works so well because it is such a simple, straightforward plot. But it it really all of the characters, well, a lot of the characters intertwine so subtly. The friendship, you know, the little things, the friendships that you make by an, an act of kindness one morning, like when he's teaching the guy to to read. You know, a simple act may save your life a few weeks down the line and at one point I was getting really angry for want of a better word at how it was going because I couldn't cope with some of the characters and their behaviours so the the bullying that was going on and what was happening when when that guy jumped the phone call line and then the way he was treating Sean Bean's character every day and taking his lunch every day and just getting away with it I cannot cope with any of that I, I needed to watch all three episodes very quickly together because I was I was even thinking about it when I was I was going to sleep I was so annoyed I just bullying really gets under my skin and they just wrote the that guy who played the bully was just immaculate in that role he was brilliant
0: Yeah I've got to admit uh as we've finished the first episode sort of thinking to myself how can they wrap up the story in three episodes like yep. how can they get through all the things that they need to kind of tell a beginning-to-end story. And I think they do it so well. And there's not really a wasted moment. And the way the whole story stitches together is is a work of art.
1: It is. And, yeah, the support cast are, are superb as well. As I said, the, the, the guy who played the bully who – I can't find his name now. That's really poor form. But, you know, there's also – um uh, Sue Sue Johnson is in it. She's she's really good. Um, Siobhan Fearon as the um, what was her role as the the, the priest the oh, the,
0: the, cha- the, yeah, the chaplain, uh, chaplain. That's it. I'll tell you what. Seeing her made me just. Can we just get season three of Happy Valley?
1: Yes, please. Yeah.
0: That, where, like, where's,
1: hurry that, up. where's that gone off the Come radar? On. There's a few shows where I've got questions, um, but you know Stephen Graham, as you said, he's always top notch in everything. Whether it's um, Snatch. Um, Band of Brothers, Line of Duty, Sean Bean for me is always Goldeneye and Lord of the Rings. I mean, just 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 delightful just seeing those two together. And did you spot um Jackson Jones uh, played by Brian McC- McCarty? He was um Tommy from from Line of Duty, so the 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 OG, the organized crime OCG, sorry. Uh just just so good. Um I yeah, I just it was just a gem of a find that I just added by chance. And, you know, I, the ratings, you know, there's 11,000 people have stuck it up at 8.4. I would go higher. I'd go all the guns on this one.
0: Yeah, same here. Great show. Highly recommended. I actually watched it with, I had my parents staying, and this was the perfect show to sit down and watch with watch yeah. with them. And the fact that we could smash it out in the evening, like a slightly longer movie, was um, well appreciated by everyone.
1: Indeed. So, yeah, so that's time Available here in New Zealand on Neon. Uh, I think, Dan, we're up to our movie of the week. We are indeed.
0: So each week, Paul and I take turns choosing a different movie of the week. If you would like to watch along with us, then you should come and join our Discord channel where we announce that movie every Monday.
1: If the social media manager remembers. Yes, every Monday morning. Um, So that gives you... Yeah, it gives you a chance chance to to watch it and then come along and hear what wise words we have to say. And this week, then we watched Master and Commander, uh, which is available on Disney Plus here in New Zealand. Um, so the synopsis for this one: During the Napoleonic Wars, a brash British captain pushes his ship and crew to their limits in pursuit of a formidable french war vessel around south america so 2003 this movie dan um every now and then a rewatch makes its way into the movie of the week and for me with so much on the watch list it, for me it has to be a movie that's truly worthy of a rewatch. you know and this for me really was i feel like this is a movie i could watch at least once every 10 years i loved it what do you got for me
0: this movie ages like a fine wine. I think the very first time I watched this movie, like I remember enjoying it, but not overly being a fan. Like I, like I like being a big fan, watching it sort of several years later enjoying it a lot more. This time, Paul, this movie has shot straight to the top of my top of my list as one of the the greatest movies of all time. It is such a good watch. I love the tension. I love the, just the, the kind of, you know, we talk about this a bit of the, you know, quite tight filming, sort of the, mm. the confines of being on a ship. It kind of reminds me of some of our favorite movies like Hunt for Red October or Crimson Tide or, we, you know, where there's kind of just these, uh, you know, <laughs> Tensions between uh, two different uh, two different enemies, and just the the cast is so wonderful. And when I think about how much love we've got for Russell Crowe um, from a movie like Unhinged, where he's an absolute um, beast of a man, to this movie where he's the he like. He's so much. He's obviously so much younger. He's such a great captain. He he demonstrates all these amazing leadership qualities. Like he's firm but fair. It's I love this movie. I had a great time. It was a pleasure to rewatch.
1: Yeah, Russell Crowe. You're right. He he does have great. His character has great leadership qualities in this movie, and that's really satisfying to watch because you know he is the main protagonist as the captain. You, you want that, and you you want. I guess maybe unless you're French, I don't. know. You want them to be successful in their endeavor, um, and it was, you know, it was last week's peak performance on the podcast on Russell Crowe that really, really made me want to watch this. And I mentioned at the time that I bet this movie hasn't aged, and just like you said, it really hasn't. And it's nearly twenty years old. Um, there's, there's just so much in this movie that's so satisfying. The story is, is is really really good I, I talked last week about you know i love the tactics that they employed um uh, the the sort of you know the sea tactics to, i don't know what the word is there's, there's obviously a word i'm missing there but you know how they escaped that french ship um by going into the storm and then be able to come up with a, a manner in which they could come up behind that ship and gain the upper hand by putting out a little raft with a with a sail on it and a light to sort of trick the ship into thinking they were still following i mean it's simple but it just it really worked really well um the dialogue you know i think i think part of it is helped by the fact that it's yeah you know, we've got this very early 19th century royal navy style of language that enabled russell crowe to deliver so many great lines and i think the the favorite one that i found was um the one where he was england is under threat of invasion and though we be on the far side of the world this ship is our home this ship is england and i i just there was so much as you know, he's trying to get all the the crew ready for that hand-to-hand combat that was just was just great there's um there's so much to talk about so much i loved there's
0: something um, that I've got this weird fascination with, Paul. And it, it, it's kind of like how we talk about what's happening in Star Wars, The Bad Batch, with what's kind of the – what's the, what are the things that happen when, you know, you're uh, pulling together and decommissioning an army and pulling a new one together? And something that kind of fascinates me about this movie is, and even just, I guess, this time period, is the idea of, all right, you're the captain of the ship this is your ship this is england for you go out and explore and you know if you come across another like you know there's no like i'm just gonna check in with home are we free to fire on this ship like you literally you know you have command of the well, probably 100 people on that ship maybe more or less. Um Yep. And you're literally doing whatever you want. You're, you're dishing out punishments. You're stopping to do scientific stuff. You're taking over other ships. You're starting wars. Like it's it's such a crazy concept to me.
1: It is. And it's like, um, it's not like in, you know, you, you talked about Hunt for October before, you know, where the, the orders come through and they get interrupted. And that's the premise for the whole story with this one. He had his orders when he left port. And he sort of mentions to the doctor halfway through, you know my orders were to return long ago you know and it's kind of like but as long as the captain says keep on going the whole crew's with it and um it's uh it's just a yeah a, a fascinating time i think again i'm not a cultured man i think it's just a, uh for me it's an insight into what life on a ship at that time might have been like um and some of the things and i'm just so so much respect and awe for how well they're able to navigate you know and at the end of the movie when he's like uh, we'll rendezvous in portsmouth and they're in south america it's like i'll tell you what dan if you and i were on a boat in south america and I had to find our way to portsmouth we'd be gone in three days
0: yeah for sure for sure. Uh, no, this is a, a fantastic rewatch. If this is a movie that you haven't seen for a while or you maybe didn't appreciate it 20 years ago when it came out, I would still encourage a rewatch because I think this is a movie I think you actually kind of appreciate when, you, when you're when you a little bit older for some reason, and it's a star-style cast, fantastic story, gives you a lot to think about, living in that time period Freaking horrific. No one wants their arm chopped off with no anesthetic while you bite down on a stick. That, that's that's not a good time for anyone. Uh, this this isn't all the guns movie
1: for me. Oh, 100% it is. 100% it is. And I don't know why Peter Weir, who I would say is probably my favourite Australian director, I don't know why he hasn't done more, because he's done this. He did a couple of others. He did Witness. He did The Truman Show. He's a great director, and his style is is fantastic. And I did some reading, because... There were, which is rare for me, there was a couple of scenes where the camera shows Russell Crowe quite clearly at the top of the of the ship's mast, and it's a long way up. And then it and it pans out without any breaking shot to reveal the ship in open water. And I was like, really? And so I had a look online and I found an interview where Peter Weir confirmed that sorry, Russell Crowe confirmed that he did indeed go up to the top of the mast for those scenes. He took James Darcy with him and Peter Weir, the director he shot that scene very quietly on the last day of production to avoid any concerns from insurance agents or studio bureaucrats or whatever and i just thought that was was just absolutely brilliant because if you watch that scene again he is a long way up like he made a comment about how when the ship was at in the port the ship was the mast of the ship was way above the hotel where he was staying up high as well and um i thought you know fair play to him that would be that would be something really awesome to um to to film and so much of the cast of this movie who um you know at the time of watching in 2003 i didn't know who they were even paul bedney who i'd only seen in a couple of things james darcy from dunkirk and Broadchurch and homeland and um what was his name lee Lee ingleby from um from criminal and from line of duty is suddenly this um this guy on the ship who thinks he's been cursed there's so much value going back for the rewatch you're 100 percent right
0: yeah, definitely. And it's always fun to see, you know, even like Billy Boyd from, because this is obviously fresh after the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy as well. And so it's sort of interesting to see yes. uh, some of these, uh, these big actors kind of appear in these different films. And I just, you know, I imagine people will say this about us, Paul, when they uh, watch the Half Measures movie, mm-hmm. but like... <laughs> Russell Crowe just seems so young like you know this is this is peak Russell Crowe too when we're talking about movies like Gladiator and you know coming into this like he, he's obviously fighting fit when you compare obviously how much he bulked up for movies like Unhinged.
1: He's He is one of the greats and I've, I've only started to realize that over the last few weeks just how much brilliant stuff he's done and as I say this is top of the top of the pile for me. Well,
0: Paul, shall I take us on over to the news desk? Please. All right. So it looks like there's a little bit of news circling around the interwebs, um, and in particular from a friend of the show, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, has been talking about season three of The Mandalorian is starting to film or getting ready to start filming pretty soon. So that's pretty exciting. Um, you know, there's because there was kind of there was a a, a real small fear deep down in the pit of my uh, stomach pool that this might not have started filming for 24 months or something, you know, Mm. like Mm. because there's a number of other projects going on with uh, that cast. Uh, You know, there is the potential of, you know, what direction are they going uh, with Mandalorian season three? So I'm excited to hear that that is happening especially now that they've finished the filming of The Book of Boba Fett.
1: Yeah, I think once we knew The Book of Boba Fett, that was when we were waiting to hear the news. So it's great to have um, Gus Fring himself confirm that news for us. I like that.
0: Mm, Indeed. Uh, It looks like there is another live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the works. So it's kind of been talked about a little bit over the the last six or so months, but it looks like uh, they've now signed up a – a writer from um, Saturday Night Live to start penning a script. So no doubt we'll start hearing more about that uh, in the coming months. Mm. It looks like we've got a release date for the Lord of the Rings TV series. And so that's going to be pre- premiering uh, in early September 2022. So still more than a, a year away. And I, I know that they have finished, uh, filming season one, but they're filming season one and two back to oh. back. So hopefully that does mean that it will be, you know, there won't be a long wait for the show. And I think much like, you know, many Lord of the Rings fans, please, please, please be good. I know they're spending a, a fortune on this show, but there's obviously a lot of love for the the Lord of the Rings films. So it'll be intriguing to see how we go with a, a TV series.
1: Yeah, most expensive show ever in terms of value per episode and of course filmed right here in new zealand i saw the one the one still that they released for this and it looks it looks nice from a still point of view but yeah i can't wait for a little teaser trailer right
0: indeed uh taika waititi who's is uh working on a flash gordon movie which was going to be an animated film is now turning into a live action film can't wait uh, I'm expecting gold from that, and I imagine lots of great uh, callbacks to the original movie. Uh, Scarlett Johansson is uh, in the news, or in, I guess in particular her her legal team, so there's quite a bit of backlash at the moment from uh, Scarlett's team in the sense that um, her, her contract and payout is based on, uh, you know, Bums on seats, ultimately in movie theaters, and with the release of Black Widow, uh, direct through Disney Plus, and in the theater, that's obviously had uh, financial impacts for her. And she's not the only one. There's since this um, case has come out, a few other um, actors and actresses have sort of lodged similar appeals. I know with Cruella, the um, same sort of thing. Mm. So, which I'm, I'm to be honest with you, Paul, I'm kind of surprised that. I would have thought releasing it even on streaming still would have been a financially beneficial um, process to those actors and actresses without knowing uh, sort of the inner working details of it all, especially given that like this is a global pandemic we're dealing with. Your options probably no money or some money. And I, I know that's, that's probably not the ideal situation for Hollywood, but an interesting one to see what this drives in
1: the future yeah it is interesting my first reaction when i heard about it was oh don't be greedy but i guess in the context of things this is you know th- this is a, a on a scale of relativity a real thing for them in terms of a, a dip in income i was just way too naive i just never would have thought they would have been paid off of how well the movie was performed i just thought they were old school yeah, like you know jack yeah. nicholson jack nicholson got was it 40 million for batman done Dill. So i figured it always went but obviously not
0: Indeed, indeed, it's complicated. Uh, It looks like we've got a release date for um, one of Disney's new Marvel TV shows. So Hawkeye is going to premiere on Disney Plus on November 24th, with new episodes arriving every Wednesday. Exciting times. Two final bits of news. It looks like uh, Jodie Whittaker is leaving uh, Doctor Who, so there will be a new Doctor preparing
1: for regeneration. I did see that. It's always it's always exciting. I love the way you've got the word regeneration correct as well. Uh, listeners would appreciate that. I've, I'm really fascinated to see what direction they go in next, and I'm saying that as someone who has not seen a lot of the new Who, so um, I'm just I'm always curious about who the Doctor is. That's just one of those things you just always people know who the James Bond is, right? It's one of those things you just you just know.
0: Indeed, indeed. I am sure our friends over at Time Traveling Tent will be all over this information. Indeed. And then a final bit of news from me. So Sweet Tooth, which I reviewed a couple of episodes ago, has now been renewed for season two over at Netflix. So if you're a fan of that show, another season will be coming
1: your way. Beautiful. And that is me, Paul. I've only got a couple of things to add in. Um, So firstly, just after we recorded last week's episode, we learned that Bob Odenkirk had... Collapsed on the set of Bedical Saul and it turns out he'd had a a heart attack. But he's he's back up on his feet and apparently doing well, and he's on social media again. So that was that was good to hear after a real shock. We love we love Bob Odenkirk, so good to see he's recovering well. The um, the Cohen brothers have split because Ethan doesn't want to he doesn't want to make movies anymore Joel's going to carry on his own Ethan needs more time back in his life Ethan wants some some flow time in his life so he's he's gone um it's just Joel now. no more Coen brothers interesting right
0: I I don't like things like this Paul no I like things to stay as they are.
1: exactly especially when these guys just make some of the greatest things and so that is a real uh, a real shame um but we'll see how how Joel goes by himself um, there's a Lego Star Wars uh, animated series streaming on Disney Plus in October. Uh, Star Wars: Terrifying Tales. I'm sure that'll be uh, a bit of fun. Bridgerton season two production has finally started after all the the COVID nineteen cases. They had a lot of COVID cases in the in the in the crew. I think it was of that show. Um, that was a great first season, so that's cool that that one's back underway and. Yeah, that's all I have. News-wise, I already had the things that you covered off. So, yeah, that's me, News-wise, Dan. Um Mailbag. So, yeah, so, so when we were talking about War for Cybertron Kingdom, I, I mentioned that we had, you know, our old mate, Frank Dodaro, had uh, got in touch with us, um, a.k.a. Air Commander Starscream. He checked in with us to get a feel of what we thought... Of Kingdom, and then he gave us his thoughts on Starscream's journey. and In his opinion, I read this out word for word. Um, he he, lo- I love how he gets not only a redemption arc but he learns humility. He talks about capable hands to Bumblebee and then coming into his own confronting Megatron. So much going on there such great writing and then he says you know, he hopes that we uh we dig it um which which we did so that was that was awesome to have um frank get in touch with us so uh, we really appreciate him providing the voiceover for our podcast and he's always welcome in, in the mailbag any week masters of the universe revelation uh so we had both Griffin Newman, who voiced Orko, and Tiffany Smith, who voiced uh, Andra. They both uh, liked our review, one on Twitter, one on Instagram, which was fantastic. Uh, Clarice, we had Marnie Carpenter, who played um, Catherine, the character who who Buffalo Bill had trapped in Silence of the Lambs at the bottom of that well. She liked our review on Instagram. And also for Clarice and this is always something we absolutely love hearing we had the producer and director of Clarice uh Damani Davis uh she listened to our review of the series which is always a treat when we you know when we hear from like a producer or a writer but to have them to listen to the review and then tweet us to to let us know what they thought is probably one of the most rewarding things about why we do this podcast and to have a go to, to the trouble of saying Dan, uh, that she agrees with what you said, um, about, uh, in your comments about Michael Cudlitz uh, having real depth of acting abilities. And then she proceeded to poke fun at him saying that he was ready for a romantic comedy role and then tag him into a, a tweet as well. That was great. I love that.
0: That's, that's so good. I, I really do love it when, uh, the directors and the producers get get involved in and listen to our reviews it's both uh, great and terrifying
1: it is michael kudlitz of course from band of brothers but for us abraham from the walking dead has yet to respond to the uh, t- to the tweet from his director and producer uh, who knows maybe he might and then we'll get him on the pod as well uh what else have i got um Oh, yeah, and so last week's peak performance, as we talked about, was obviously Russell Crowe. We had three people get in touch this week. Um, Brian, uh from California, he went with Robin Hood, Uh movie I only watched once. I haven't seen that since, and I can't remember what I thought of it. Who knows?
0: I think it's not bad. I think we've been through a real sort of period over the last 30 years of kind of we release Robin Hood movies all the time. It wasn't too bad. Yeah. It, yeah.
1: Uh, the Honourable Bruce Gray from Australia, uh, he suggested The Nice Guys um, opposite uh, Ryan Gosling. and um, So another one that didn't make the cut for us. And finally, Paddy from Time Travelling Team Podcast, a uh, sponsor for this week's podcast, he gave us his 3-2-1 of 3-10 to Yuma, Master and Commander and Gladiator. That's the mailbag this week.
0: Great choices, Paddy, as always. Um, all right, shall we move on over to our peak performances?
1: Indeed. So very much like the movie of the week, each week Dan and I take it in turns to choose either an actor or actress, producer, director, someone who we're going to look back on their career and decide what their peak performance is. This week, Dan, you went with a director. You took us back into the director's chair for our very own New Zealander, Taika Waititi.
0: I have indeed, so sticking with our new format of runner-up and then peak performance, it's tough, it's tough on... I love it though, I do love it. It's It really forces you to focus, so my runner-up choice of this week, I'm actually going to go with Taika's uh, when he directed episode 8 of The Mandalorian season 1, so this for me was one of the... like. You know, obviously, we're big fans of The Mandalorian on the show, but episode eight, you, you could see Taika's sort of trademark uh, humor and direction all over this episode, and just a, a top shout for me. I, I love this work. Uh, for my peak performance for Tika, I'm actually going to go with the 2016 movie Hunt for the Wilderpeople. So, uh, you know, this is a... a a bit of a global sort of theme on this movie, basically about a national manhunt is ordered for a rebellious kid and his foster uncle Hugo missing in the New Zealand bush. And I think Taika, he really knows how to encapsulate that New Zealand humour mm. and play it out to a global audience. And there's just so many great uh, Kiwi-isms in this film that make it, a lot of fun it's heartfelt it's emotional it's it's a good time it, it's a movie that i've enjoyed no and I, i've seen it you know half a dozen times it's a it's a top one for me
1: great choices dan i was uh, really pleased to hear you mention the mandalorian because it didn't make my cut and i really wanted one of us to mention it um i actually hope that my peak performance list changes in the next couple of years with the new Star Wars film he's got and the Flash Gordon film. I would love to see it updated. But for now, Dan, uh, my honourable mention goes to 2007's Flight of the Concords. This is one of my top five comedy shows of all time. And you need to really think about that because if I said to you, just choose your top five comedy TV shows of all time, that's a real hard ask. That's how much I rate it.
0: It's funny, uh, listeners at home... You know, comedy is, is a, a difficult genre for Paul to talk about. You know, like when we talk about top TV shows, he likes to try and exclude comedy from it. So that this is a big shout for him.
1: It, it really is because with comedy, I just, once I go into comedy, I'm in a, in a wormhole and I can't come out because I could easily list my top 10 every year just on comedies because comedies are so much fun. Top, top 10 though, uh, top five, sorry, 2007's Flight of the concords. It's, for me, it's, I mean, so much of the show is, I guess, this, this wonderful script and the performances from Brett McKenzie and Jermaine Clement. But the way that show is filmed, I've watched the whole thing at least four times. And the direction is very unique. It's got its very own unique feel and design and that Kiwi comedy that you just talked about. Taika, at the time, he'd only directed three other things at this point, one of which I think was Eagle Versus show. Um But this is a real good New Zealand TV series. Taika directing and also wrote a couple of the episodes as well gives it a real New Zealand feel and I had to have it in there as my honorable mention
0: I so nearly picked Eagle versus shark as my <laughs> um, peak performance because again that that humor is so perfect. It's uh, even just talking about Flight of the Concords, Eagle vs Shark. These are movies that need to be on a rewatch list.
1: <laughs> I always think of the line where in Eagle vs Shark, where he's on the phone, he's saying, "Tell him justice is calling," and he goes, "Okay, Justin, <laughs> I'll tell him Justin. No, not Justin, justice." Like, <laughs> I my
0: favorite bit in Eagle vs Shark is when he brings the girl to his room and he's just showing her, showing her all the stuff. He's like, "This is my wrist wallet. This is my candle." Like, it's it's so good.
1: <laughs> so peak performance for me we really went on a tangent there peak performance for me is the 2019 movie uh jojo rabbit uh and yeah this is one about a young boy in hitler's army he finds out his mother's hiding a jewish girl in their home it's as the director and the writer of the screenplay of this this was hard for me to look past i found I found this a really unique kind of movie. It was a really different way to approach a story around Hitler, make, you know, make it a comedy and to make it so vivid and colourful and engaging and to do all of it, I think, very delicately around something that perhaps people wouldn't normally expect a comedy around. And it's interesting because I've got it as my paper performance. I wouldn't necessarily say it's one of my favourite movies, but I just, there's something so unique about it and so well done and so well directed that it makes it a peak performance for me without it necessarily having to be something that I might re-watch too often. Um, great cast, um, just, a, just a great shape.
0: Fantastic choice, Paul. And I, th- I think, yeah, you're right. I think I couldn't think of another director off the top of my head who could pull off such a, a sensitive topic like that yeah. and make it into a comedy.
1: And so I guess that is pretty much us for this week dan don't forget if anyone wants to get in touch with us you can do so at halfmeasurespodcast.com or on facebook twitter or instagram at halfmeasurespod and our thanks to time traveling team podcast for supporting this week's episode and of course to frank DiDado, as always for providing us with our star screen voice over introduction And a
0: special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara King and Trisha Brady. If you too would like to become a patron of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.